Hello and welcome to the Manifest Image. Here we look at art movements, their works, theory, and explore their relevance to artists and creatives of today. This week, should you go to art school? How might naivety inform a painting? And who is the blue fool? We will discover all of this and more as we look at Maurice de Vlaminck. I'm Thomas Greengrass. And I'm Ariel Lagarde. So we're carrying on from our look at Henri Rousseau's The Dream. We're back to looking at the Fauves. We saw the Salon. We were introduced to persons like Matisse and Vlaminck and Darin. But it's time to actually have a look at what Maurice de Vlaminck himself says. He, along with Darin and Matisse, of course, these major three Fauves, but we've been very suspicious about what actually ties them together as a movement. We don't really have any manifestos. In fact, even Which, of the course, is yeah. the only thing we really crave after. <laughs> day after day. It's, yeah. yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm getting withdrawal there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and not just from the drugs. No. <laughs> the manifesto. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but, no, it's important to turn to the works. What are so, the connections? A brief question before. Yeah. What, what drew you to Vlaminck? Vlaminck, my gosh. Uh, 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 nothing. <laughs> no, no. There, so I think you can actually see a trajectory in his work, uh, and we will be looking into that. His very early works, so think of something like The Bar Counter or Man Smoking a Pint. These are done in 1900. These are very caricature These are very expressive. Um, I think you can draw similarities with someone like Rouault. Uh, who we thought was dark, you know, this is, uh, uh, there is a real atmosphere to these paintings, um, and yeah, he, he, in some ways I, I always feel bad that he didn't keep up in some senses with that style, but then later on we, we, we see, uh, of course, you know, by 1904. You're, you're, you're saying, you're saying, you're saying um, you're a little dismayed that he became a fove. Uh, a, li- a little bit. A little bit, yeah. A little bit. I, might, I, I then really like his, his later works when he becomes very blue, mm-hmm. who we're going to see as this very blue Cezanne type painter. Mm-hmm. People emphasize the Van Gogh uh, uh, influence in his later work. Well, actually, which throughout. Is, which but, is very much present. Yeah, but, in, but I still mm-hmm. think it's so very Cezanne. Sure. Especially uh, the later stuff. Um, but we're going to examine his character. We're going to have a little bit of a, 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 a recap of his life very shortly. And uh, then we'll turn to some of his writings. Well, please, take, take, take it away. So, uh, Vlamink, what is he like? What is he like? Turns out he's a little bit of a rebel. He is, uh, when he's 16, he wants to make a living as a racing cyclist. Okay. Yep. And uh, he then also worked... At, One of uh, the most exciting and dynamic <laughs> professions of its day, listeners. It was, yeah. What do you want from him? You know, racing cyclism. 1890s. What do you want? And he also works as a violinist in nightclubs. You know, he's very spontaneous. He has a, a political bent. 
Mm. Um, so he has some affiliation with some anarchist publications. He does some writing, and so in the 1890s, he's not he's not violent. He's not taking part in like throwing bricks through windows, but he is writing, uh, you, know, uh, you know, submitting essays and fiery things. letters Absolutely. to the establishment. Yes, and in fact, uh, he likes writing. He's fascinated mm. by writing. He's very well read, and he might have even introduced Dorin to uh, a wider sort of literary world. Uh, and Vlaminck even publishes some books. Which, by the way, listeners, if you uh, are absolutely clamoring for us to read some uh, Vlaminck novels, uh, uh, do send your mail in to Thomas's home address <laughs> or, or to our actual email. But uh, yes, he does. He does. He does write several novels. And um, I think, from what we've understood, considers, him, considers himself uh, rather worse than um, his is a, a contemporary, um, yeah. But yeah, so he, he's very influenced by people like Zola. Yeah, Mira, Mirbeau, then his contemporary Mirbeau. That, that's yes. All. Could you give us an example of one of Mirbeau's works? No. No, very good, <laughs> well said. But yeah, so in terms of his temperament and character, he's, he's a bit more adventurous. He's a bit more outgoing. Um, mm. We'll cover Durand next week. But uh, Durand, again, will also be very interested in writing and will consider becoming a writer. Um, and, uh, yeah, so his temperament, he, he, he likes painting, he's fascinated by painting, but he is not traditionally trained. He never goes to art school. Mm-hmm. So, listeners, if you were wondering about what the value of art school is... Vlaminck is all there with you. He's there with you. He's, he's like Bacon. He is, does not want to go. But uh, that's not to say that uh, Vlaminck uh, is ignorant of art history mm. or of, that Francis Bacon was. Mm-hmm. Both had a prodigious understanding and familiarity with, with the history of art. And so uh, he's... Oh, it's interesting because, mm. because um, Vlaminck seems to be fairly dismissive of... Um, at least in his writings of art history and of knowledge of art history as, as somehow being um, important for, for creation. Mm. Um, yeah. We'll, we'll, although it certainly, I mean, it always sounds really nice to be dismissive of art history. <laughs> um, it sounds great whenever you say that. But, you know, after the, after the gallery show and after the poetry reading, you go back home and you, you really learn because you realize that's where all your ideas have come from. Oh. <laughs> right? um, well, we can say that um, whilst he is familiar with so mm-hmm. much of art, um, he, unlike uh, Derain and a few of his peers, um, he doesn't consciously, at least, get his inspiration for subject matters from the Impressionists and post-Impressionists. Mm. Uh, he seems to be much more casual. He's, he's sort of inspired by the world around him. Uh, but he also likes, uh, uh, he's also inspired by chromolithographs and supposedly African sculpture. He never becomes mm. obsessed with African sculpture, but he even claims to have discovered it, uh, you know, amongst his Parisian friends in 1904. He says, yes, sure. I was the one. I was yes, the I one. Mean, <laughs> there was I mean, me. No one was looking at yeah. that stuff before I brought no, it over. No yeah. one, no. Okay. Matisse and Picasso, none of them. It's mm. all me. It's me. It would have never have happened without me. Mm. But yes, yeah, so he is with Durin, uh, not studying with Eugène Carrière, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, this is a sort of master who is helping 
some with some light guidance, but he has no time for any no, color pretty, theory. Pretty pretty intense guidance. I mean, he mm. he did teach them a good teach them all a good deal. Yeah, um, but he's throwing out all color theory. So as, as radical as he as Vlaminck will be with color, he says sure. it's all spontaneous. It all comes from kind of you know mm-hmm. a, a, a ignorance uh, of these things. He's not like Signac. He's not like Surin. He he's not interested. He's but fiery was in his Vlaminck, temperament. Was Vlaminck also? Um, uh, uh, almost, uh, I'm not exactly a disciple, but did mm. he also spend a lot of time in Moreau's studio? No, he no, didn't. No, okay, he so he's not from no, no, no. But but Carrière is is sort of the teacher. So because yes. Carrière, um, uh, if you if you manage to listen to the episode on the um, Autumn Salon, Carrière was to whom they dedicated the Autumn Salon. So it's like a mm. major figure um, for all of these artists, and clearly a, a guiding. A guiding light for them mm. at the time. Fantastic! Mm-hmm. Thanks for mentioning that yeah. because, um, yeah, maybe an unsung hero, probably. <clears throat> but yes, now let's turn to uh, a quote. Yes, let's do it. Let's actually turn to some of the quotes and then look at the the works. <clears throat> so, uh, listeners, you can follow through. You can follow uh, the. Um, you can follow what we say about these paintings uh, from the link in the description. Yeah. You can tap on it and then struggle to find the painting we're talking about, but they should all be there. So here we go. This is uh, 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 from a section from uh, Blemick. I heightened all my tone values and transposed into an orchestration of pure color every single thing I felt. I was a tender-hearted savage. Filled with violence, I translated what I saw instinctively without any method, and conveyed truth, not so much artistically as humanely. I squeezed ruined tubes of aquamarine and vermilion. It was due to my chance encounter with André Derain that the school of Fauvism was born. Hmm. It's quite dramatic, that really. Very dramatic, <laughs> yeah. So, okay. He himself is saying, he's looking back on his work and is saying, heightened tone values. Mm-hmm. So we've got experiments in pure color. Already uh, in 1901, he and Derain are experimenting with pure color, and uh, Derain introduces uh, Vlaminck to uh, Matisse. Mm-hmm. And he introduces him at a Van Gogh retrospective. And this would affect all three of them very much. Uh, and in the letters between Derain and Vlaminck of 1901 to 1904, they're constantly talking about the influence of Van Gogh. Uh, and so anyone who's familiar with some of Van Gogh's work in terms of this, these, these hues, these pure colours being applied, and uh, something like a very strong, heavy, thick impasto, mm-hmm. uh, very lusciously applied, these are going to have an influence on uh, de Vlaminck. But if we turn to something like The Gardener, uh, which he, uh, Vlaminck does in 1904, this is actually a, a, a standard Van Gogh subject matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, very much rural, uh, very much a rural scene. Uh, we have these, uh, a man at work here, uh, uh, something like a peasant. He has a profound, re- Van Gogh had a re- profound respect for all types of life and mm-hmm. all situations, very hard living. But when we look at uh, Vlaminck's here, it very much could be, perhaps it's a little too thick at times, uh, too, too um, I don't know, it, it seems to bleed. Yeah, there's a coarseness to this. Uh, uh, that would distinguish it from a Van Gogh. Sure, but there's also 
a similar like rhythmic almost rhythmic application to like the way the trees are outlined yes it feels very very van gogh and just just in general there's almost a little bit of a sweep of paint going around um which uh, in van gogh is very very clear mm. in something like starry night obviously there's the great sweep of all the um of the wind in the sky right mm. Mm. and um yeah, it, that's a bit similar to how in drawing, um, yes. in like say Renaissance sketches, for example, yes, or just in sketches, yeah. you have a kind of sweep to the to the paint to to, to the drawing. There's like a way. Yeah, has you, a you general can, you can, contour. Well, not a contour so much as you can see which way the arm went as it drew it. Mm. So there's like a sweep, and Van Gogh has these like big, large sweeps of paint. There's like a rhythm underlying in the in the the way the brush strokes are are laid out independent of the form of the shape that they're forming here. There's, there's almost that it, this happens more in other paintings of his, but here you start to see it more than anything. I think it's the, um, yeah, the, I, I the, the, sub, the, the subject matter, yeah. the colors are so Van Gogh. I mean, that blue and the yellow, but check out the red. And so the red. the red and the yellow the here, the fauvish red. I think this is when we're starting to see, uh, uh the, the beginnings of this, uh, the, we have mm -hmm. pure color applied, but I, I, can't, I can't move on from the coarseness. It looks like it's been done, in particular the actual gardener, looks like it's been done with an oil pastel. Yeah, it's a bit of a sketch. Don't you think? Mm -hmm. It does look like it. I wonder exactly how big it is. It'd be nice to see it in person. I think it's something like... I mean, if this was made today, it'd be huge. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> but it looks quite unfinished. Mm -hmm. It's very raw. Sure. And then you compare it with something like the orchard. Now, this is where I think we would, this is what we imagine Fauvist works to be. Mm -hmm. Here, I think we can see, yes, heightened tone values. It's very intense. Mm -hmm. uh, we, it's pure color, but it's very bright. It, it's luminous. It seems to emanate from the image. Mm -hmm. uh, and, it, I mean, it's this fabulous orchard, it looks like it's on fire. It looks mm -hmm. like it's a flame, but a kind of spiritual flame. Mm -hmm. You find, I think, in, in a lot of these, especially in, in the text, the way he, he mm. writes them, yeah. um, there's kind of the same passion, in Vlamink at least, a similar disdain for the past and a desire for new, fiery, exciting works, um, just without the violence, that it, there's all of this vivacity and strength and everything, but it's like disseminated into just kind of spread out onto the world in a, in a much, much less violent way, just kind of raw sensation as opposed to, um, to, to, to violence, mm. which is, which is interesting. Which, yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't mind it. I, I think that this is one of the, one of the, the better much ones. better works, one of the much, much better works. Um, and there's a fabulous, uh, I mean, aquamarine azure blue mm. in the background, absolutely incredible to look at. Uh, and it's such a fantastic contrast with the red and the yellow. Um, but in terms of, I, I described it as, a, as an orchard that's on fire. Mm -hmm. I, it's, but not a violent fire. Think of it like a, a tree and grass coated in gold leaf mm -hmm. and the sun just catching it at the peak of summer. Sure. With all the glinting gold, this is what you've got here. And then there's this tranquility from the blue. It's uh, and, uh, and again, in terms of what sort of thing, 
there on the far left you've got a very rich blue that seems to be a bit darker um, but other than that the color seems to, the light actually seems to come out from it that's the visual effect that I get from it mm. um, there's only one section in the sort of the top left just under the tree or behind the tree which seems to suck light in everything else seems to radiate from it it's a very exciting image and a fantastic contrast of tones in particular on the tree mm. I mean how many you've got oranges and blues and yellows it's, it's so exciting. Yeah, it's like a collection of jewels. An orchard in golden hour um, yeah. with the sun waning in the background but still burning in the front foreground. And so, I mean, if, if this was shown out, uh, this is what, 1905. So if this was shown, um, and I don't know if that was shown at the Exhibition of Independence or, uh, mm-hmm. or at the Salon d'Automne, but that would have, should have been recognized as actually a really exciting color work. And this is someone who says that he doesn't have, use any color theory. Mm-hmm. Don't you well, think you that don't, there's a don't. mastery here in terms of how it's... Maybe, a, although you don't probably have to use color theory to be able to apply it really well. No, absolutely. Do you, yeah. There's a kind of sense of harmony or dissonance that you can guide yourself with. But even the subtlety, because he's... It, it, again, we're still on the orchard mm-hmm. list. I'm sorry about that. Um, but you've got this great contrast between the yellows and the oranges and the reds with the, with the dark blue in the background. Mm-hmm. But also on the far left, uh, we actually have... A, it's not a, a, a pure mix uh, or a, a pure swap between the reds and golds and oranges to the blue. We actually have a green enter in. Mm-hmm. It's the only space, a sort of little triangle of green. And uh, it's... It does something to the to the overall composition. Well, it I makes think it what's, what's impressive. It I think what's impressive is you have you have like all the primary colors and everything's very bright, and yet none of it feels jarring. Mm. There's no moment where it feels like uh, jarring in the way that like pop art feels very jarring with their complementary colors. You think you have something like uh, uh, Andy Warhol's Marilyn series? Yeah, so I mean, so, something, yeah, something like that. Like just any pop art thing is usually really German really, Mao series. Sure, I mean, it's like <laughs> maybe yeah, it's intentionally jarring. Um, mm. So you know, your orange and your blue, and I, I like that. I like those combinations a lot. I think they look they look really great. But um, this has a kind of sense of of, of harmony to it, mm. which is I think a little impressive given the given how bright the colors are. It's amazing. I mean, I, I think your, your, your point although, is so interesting. Although, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to return briefly to the gardener here. Yes. Please. I don't hate it, Hans. I don't hate it you as like much as you do. You... I don't hate it. Mm-hmm. I just think, uh, I, I mean, I can, I can clearly see that this is very much a Van Gogh work. And if you were yes, ever thinking, sure. this, this is it's very much in that style. Um, the kind of it just Van Gogh, seems a bit Monet, more to me. and yeah. But you can probably see why also uh, 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 Vlaminck we can make judgments uh, and assumptions in terms of his character. He wants to be a racing cyclist. He probably likes the story of Van Gogh's life. Sure. So that's probably another reason that he, he's, he's, he's dragged into it. It's interesting. Um, and then also from that time, mm-hmm. you have two, oh my God, God-forsaken images. <laughs> autumn landscape and barge in Chateau. You really despise autumn landscape. Autumn la- oh my gosh. What a, it's, I wrote a note here. It says, Autumn Landscape, 1905, terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and Ariel can confirm that. Interesting. I think we'll, this, will, this will go down in, um, as, an important, as an important piece in, in um, I don't know, in, in therapy for Thomas, because you really despise it. It's awful. It? Look at it. I mean, just look <laughs> at it. 
There's one redeeming feature. I'm going to be contrarian and say I like it. As you said that, you grimaced. No, I didn't. I didn't. See, <laughs> see, prove it. Prove it, listeners. <laughs> I think there's one aspect to this image that is actually very interesting. Mm-hmm. The rest of it really I don't, gets I don't, on my nerves. I don't mind it, though. Zoom in on the... if you Because we've got a, a copy. If you look in closely at the trees at the bottom, or what appear to be trees, uh, the way that that's applied is very fantastic. Um, because you've got these, uh, these Y-shaped lines coming out, but they're not united. You've actually seem to have a play on negative space. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can actually see the background color bursting out. It seems that these trees have a kind of ephemeral nature to well, them. Well, it's almost as if it's autumn and all the leaves have fallen. Oh, do you think those are fallen leaves? I think so, I think so. yeah. I think so. I think, I think the floor is orange because of the fallen leaves and the light. And... The um yeah, but I'm wondering why the Y shape then, if they're not trees. Oh, because they're trees. They're trees. Yeah, they're, yeah, just, yeah. they're just branches. They're just yes, empty yes, yes. branches. So it's like a way maybe of representing the kind of mm. just just bare nature of these branches. But see, I actually like that. I like that sure. bottom bit. But then you turn to the top, and it looks like on the top right hand corner, all I'm seeing is some sort of parrot. Mm. <laughs> it's Attack of the Giant Parrot, Ariel. Oh, Do you see what I mean? I see that. Yeah. <laughs> it's. Or a chameleon, it's some sort of lizard. It's but it's interesting, I, I don't despise it that much. I mean, here there's, there's clearly a hill, and there's things in the background, like other other bright colors. It's definitely, it has a roughness to it um, that is very rough. It's kind of like a late, late turner, kind of, in its progression. No, no, in its I progression, In its progression you of how you have... claims like that. Although, yeah, you have like a very, you know, the early turners are, are very... Uh, so figurative, and then mm-hmm. slowly you get into full abstraction, um, really pushing it with this. Uh, I'm really pushing it with this comparison. Yeah, but <clears throat> there, there, there is there is a kind of abstraction. The, the bottom is 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 better if if a little, yeah. The white but I, I, trees I don't are mind the best it, part. I, but, yeah, but I, I I don't mind it as much because um, the colors are quite nice. So is it a background watercolor at the back? No, there's no watercolor. What, what what do you mean like like the, uh, in the, the sky watercolor? the sky no I think it's all oil is it um, all oil no I don't know I don't I am I am looking at a low resolution picture yes. of it on my computer but it looks thank you Wikipedia fairly nice thank you Wikipedia <laughs> yeah. but yes uh, but you despise this one what's the second one you despise barge in chateau ah and this will be yes. important because uh, the chateau paintings are ones that he has throughout his life he does several during 1905. 1906 that are appropriately mm-hmm. during our faux period, but again, it's actually very dark so, compared so with the So now we're looking at 1905's barge yes. in uh, Chateau. Yes, I don't love this one. Uh, but uh, really, look uh, look at the colours now. So compared with the orchard, which uh, there was a heightened uh, uh, intensity, there were very bright colours, very thick, luscious, but bright seems to emanate from it. Here again, we've got that vacuum of colour. They're pure colours, a lot of them, but it's dark. Mm-hmm. Do you see what I mean? Uh, if you look at that dark blue and a kind of sickly green... To uh, a different time of day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the actual selection of colours, I think, is Sun, good. It's a sunset, I think. But the, the selection of colours, I think, is excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's really, again, something else to have that kind of dark blue with that very sickly yeah, green, think, oranges, think, and the pink what, in the sky. Yeah, I think it's like a sunset. 
or morning, early morning. What I find a bit jarring about it is the composition. Um, the the Belgian pave paved stone, like the stone stone paved road that's uh, bis- the, this the is shore. the river. Well, it's the shore of the barge, right? The the river's to our left. We can't really see oh, it. We only see a little course. sliver. Um, it's a really odd choice. It's a really odd choice to have the floor be the main. Um, oh, I apologize. Yeah. I thought that was the river. No, I was, no, I was no. I mean, in, in a way, it'd be interesting wrong. if it were the river, but but yeah, you it's just that. there's a bicycle there. It's a really strange choice to have the floor be like the main event because it is by far the biggest part. I mean, it's yeah. like you know more than two thirds of the painting it seems is, to yeah, be the, it seems to be the floor. Um, yeah, and that makes for a very odd painting. It, yeah. Well, they put jeweled. Uh, they put jade cat's eyes in the road there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They they covered it with jade and uh, yeah. tourmaline. Yeah, very advanced road making. Absolutely incredible. In we we really have gone backwards since. Yes. And now I know that you want to talk about the portrait of Dara. Yes, that is one of the more famous works Lamy did. Mm. Um, it's pretty good. You like this. Yeah, kind of. Would you give a description of it? Yes. So, um, it is a very close-up portrait of a man, um, of a man's face, essentially. I think in the movies you'd say that what they're doing is uh, close-up with a haircut because part of his head is cut off, just the the tip of his hair. And um, very thick impasto. The main color is red. It's this beautiful red all over his face um, that makes up most of it with a yellow background and a white shirt with some blue hues and a mustache and pipe. Also, uh, some pretty, pretty serious bags under the eyes. I get the idea that this man's been up for a while, probably at some dingy Parisian... Well, not dingy, at some... um, Lurid Parisian night spot. Mm. Mm-hmm. See, if that is like the, the case, dead cat, maybe it isn't a mustache. The dead rat. Yeah. Maybe he's got a cigar in his mouth and a pipe. Wow! <laughs> yeah, there you how, go. Yeah, that would very explain well, the bags. It very well could be a cigar and a pipe. Exactly. <laughs> no, um, definitely. Um, but what do you think of the light source? So again, is there any consistency? We have this think, strange yellow a, and mm-hmm. green going down the side of his, his forehead and nose, but it's difficult to tell whether there's any kind of light source. I think, I think the red is a shadow. You think the red is a shadow, but then yeah. how do you get that yellow and green for light? Well, I mean, green is a shadowish thing. Um, I think the colors work. Now, obviously... This isn't realistic, right? No. This is in no way realistic, but... It's barely human. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you can imagine... <laughs> the cynicism is um, shocking. But you can imagine uh, that this is to do with his... with his feeling at the time. Mm. It's a very intense portrait. It's a very mm. intense look. I'm going to go radical with here. The bright red. You hate it, don't you? Uh, I'm going to go radical here. It's so unrealistic that, that that background, which is, you know, of a, of a sort of a... A trashy gold hmm. uh, with these black spots. Mm-hmm. Um, that's actually the night sky. There you, you go. Bastard. That's, that's how Absolutely unrealistic horrible. it is. That's a night sky. Absolutely horrible. Um, or it's a cheetah. 
Okay, well, I'd rather the cheetah. Um, both of these images seem to ruin the work for me. Yeah. Later, but no, I... Um, Actually, it's diabolical flock wallpaper. <laughs> <laughs> that it could be. Yes. It could be. It could be very oppressive wallpaper, as yellow wallpaper tends to be. But, but joking aside, I think that there is actually a, a, a kind of warmth to this work. I think you can see that this is there a is, man an, painting his friend. There's an incredible warmth and intensity, and he seems kind of troubled and mm. intense, um, Derain. Uh, yeah, I, I, I like it. I don't have that much more to say. No. It's interesting in its relation to, say, something like the woman with hat from Matisse that we talked yes. about earlier. Um, it seems to be in a similar vein. This also feels like the most authentically Vlaminck thing I've seen. Really? In a way, yeah. This seems like the most... Um, yes, the most authentically Vlaminck thing I've seen. Because the other ones have a very strong... Um, maybe The Orchard as well is getting I somewhere. I think The Orchard, I, I think it might be closest to someone like Derain, but uh, it's still very different to Derain. Uh, and I will really like Derain when we come to him next mm-hmm. week. Um, uh, but say something like the barge and Chateau and um, the autumn landscape, to a lesser extent, I mean, that one may be a bit more, but like The Gardener, again, all of these are, are very um, evocative of Van Gogh. Yeah, and much more muted. Of, of others. Of, but the orchard you know, is, is, sure, is... Or of others, I mean, landscapes are really difficult to make your own. Um, but mm. this feels like a like a more authentically, like a more personal work in a way. I, I like it. So there are, there are two works that I desperately want to save. Sure. Because I think that these are actually fantastic. But what we're going to do is we're going to read another section. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, and then compare it with, with what happens in 1906. My enthusiasm allowed me to take all sorts of liberties. I did not want to follow a conventional way of painting. I wanted to revolutionise habits and contemporary life. To liberate nature, to free it from the authority of old theories and classicism, which I hated as much as I hated the general or the colonel of my regiment. I was filled neither with jealousy or hate, but I felt a tremendous urge to recreate a new world seen through my eyes, a world which was entirely mine. Hmm. There you go. Do you, do you get that? Do you think that that's an appropriate way of actually starting to see and understand his, his composition and colour works? I think so. I think uh, the Fauves, it, uh, to the extent that that's a, a kind of movement... Um, that would be a good way of characterizing them, generally. There is this attempt to try to, to, to see the world through their eyes um, and filter it directly through their emotions. Um, in a, it, You could say something similar of Impressionism, I guess, but here maybe it starts to take on other dimensions and they, they, they liberate themselves with color a lot more. See, although I mentioned, you know, he's inspired by chromographs, uh, chromolithographs, mm-hmm. um, and okay, you, maybe you can see the African sculpture in the image of Dorin. He's, he's inspired by chromolithographs? What do you mean? Yeah. Uh, 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 no, he, he's just, uh, he looks at them and, and takes inspiration, so he likes so the, to discuss them. Yes. The, the, the kind of colored lithographs of the time. So like yes. the primary mode of advertising as well, right? Yeah. Okay, 
Sure. So as I said, he's sort of more inspired by everyday life, right. um, and uh, but he's not ex- uh, afraid the kind to of everyday his... the kind of everyday graphical work that mm-hmm. the everyday Parisian would be seeing all but over the place as well. It's still very you know the subject mm-hmm. matter is still very impressionist and post impressionist, mm-hmm. whether it's conscious or not. But I think we're going to come up to something now that's a little bit more tricky because in 1906 we suddenly get this shift where blue starts to dominate. And it's not that this was absent from his earlier work, but he just time after time, image after image, there's a domination of blue in the majority of them. And this mm-hmm. is why I nicknamed him this blue fauve, if, mm-hmm. if it's a real thing at all. And blue will mostly remain a dominant color throughout his life, actually. But uh, mm, for certainly all, look, from, for all, to, to for all his, um, sure, for all his... Uh, his his dislike of cubism. A lot of works here are fairly cubist. Oh yeah, by 1910 he's he's very cubist. Uh, around uh, uh, let's cheat a little bit. In 1908 and 1907, late 1907 and 1908, he starts to mess around. Where I think he becomes very very Cezanne, and I think that's why you mm-hmm. get that cubist, this proto cubist influence. But then by 1910, something like Still Life with Pears, mm-hmm. that's very Cubist. Uh, very Cubist. Still Life with Knife is incredibly Cubist. Mm. Probably the most Cubist of the ones I can find. Fruit with Flowers is a fascinating mm-hmm. image. Unfortunately, are these faux? Certainly not, I no, don't think. By, no then, by then it's gone. Yeah. Well, it, Vlaminck seems to have very quickly fallen out of love with this, uh, uh, you know, more adventurous use of colour. Really, by 1907, probably, I'm actually saying 1906. I'm saying 1906 because it changes. He becomes blue. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking of something like Woman with a Dog. Right. 1906, Woman with a Dog. What do you think... It's all right. It very. This one's very Van Gogh. Very, yeah. very Van Gogh. Very hears. thick swirls of impasto. And, and I think at this time, this is when he was saying that he's heightened his, 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 his Van uh, But he's squeezing the paint directly from the tube onto the canvas. Mm-hmm. So he's not even using paint brushes or palette knives or anything like that. He's, he's just forcing... Mm-hmm. I mean, he's definitely using paint, paint brushes here, but... Yeah, but, but, it, but it's, like it's a, a thing. Yeah. It's a technique that he's starting to to, to push during that time. He, there, there seems to be an introduction of more texture uh, into that work. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But what does it signify? It's it's pre- the pre- the main color is a kind of rich blue. We've then got a, a slight kind of creamy green, um, and then just this sort of vibrant mm-hmm. red orange, and that's the dominance uh, the dominant colors of the, uh, the image uh, you with fauvism i think so much we're imagining orange bright oranges reds mm-hmm. uh, uh yellows fauve colors what yeah. is this Mm-mm-mm. i there's still a, a something of fauvism here um it's it's kind of van gogh but transposed into a obviously slightly different technique but transposed to a more urban different setting i mean the the angle of 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 the woman right um the background where she's standing it's like a strange snapshot from a from an angle so 
that's still fairly different um, and novel, I would say. I mean, the actual image of the, of the woman, the, this portrait. Again, I, I think I think it's a pretty good painting. You like this? Yeah. Well, I think it's very cartoony. It's very much like a comic book character. I can imagine an art style hmm. where a graphic novel is done in this sort of art style. not the not the swirling background in pasto, but but the actual depiction of the woman. Hmm. Don't you the face? I could imagine a sort of some somewhat. Um, I don't know if I like the use of the word cartoony as a as a as a bad thing. As a descriptor. No, no, no. I don't mean thing. I don't mean it as a bad thing. I actually think there is something that's more interesting about this one. Um, mm-hmm. I I prefer this to the de Rhin sure. image. Um, but I I, I it, again I, it seems very expressive. Mm-hmm. But what is it expressing? Not it's just aloof. Sure. But that's okay. But yeah, it just seems mm-hmm. a bit. Again, maybe if you're an art critic, you look at that and you think that there's something that's a bit rough. Mm-hmm. And rugged and a little bit surprising, and so yeah, you're going to say the wild beasts. Mm-hmm. But when I think of fauvism, I'm not thinking of this. Mm. It's the same reason that I don't think that Rouault has any business in being called a fauve. Sure. He is an expressionist, certainly through and through. Entirely fair. I like the portrait of Derain a lot more than this one. Mm. Um, but all of that being said, yeah. shall we move on to our final letter? Uh, yeah, do you want to do you want to read out a, a few selections from it? Sure. You ask me what I so this is called the uh, the preface letter. Yeah. Um, it is. I think it's nineteen fourteen or something. It's. I think it was actually sent something around that. Something around then. It's. I think uh, not entirely clear. Um, dear friend, you ask me what I think of the movement taking place in young French painting, and what I'm working on. I shall do my best to satisfy you. I never go to museums. I avoid their odor, their monotony, their severity. Um, in them, I rediscover my grandfather's rages when I played hooky. He tries to paint. With, I try to paint with my heart and my loins, not bothering with style. Right. So I think that's a that's a key line. Mm-hmm. Again, we were, earlier we hear, heard that he's trying to reinvent the world. Here, you see the spontaneity. Mm-hmm. He's painting with his heart and his loins. Do you think that he has, it does, I, I have no idea whether he does much in the way of uh, preparatory sketches or whether he's far more spontaneous than that. Who knows? I don't know. He, he has, I mean, obviously some, some sketches. I'm sure he does some preparatory sketches, mm. but, but they're probably very, very sketchy. Um, but hold on, are you, you, uh, there's, a, there's a great line, which is that I never, I never ask a friend how he makes love to his wife in order to love mine nor what woman I ought to love, and I never worry about how women were loved in 1802. I love like a man and not like a schoolboy or a professor. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> That's pretty great. Yeah. Again, we, we just see this, this naivety uh, coming out of it, but it's a sophisticated one, because he's such a master of, of the colour theory in, in something like The Orchard. His application is, 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 is phenomenal. Um, Perhaps the kind of first and fullest expression of the idea that art ought to be entirely about one's subjectivity and the critics be damned, every, everyone be damned. Um, yeah. The past be damned, everything. Now, obviously, when you have to do something, you kind of inevitably draw from other things that you've seen, hmm. as clearly here with Van Gogh and everything. But he was clearly trying to get at something essential and new but and, uh, and more importantly his own 
which is interesting mm. given again how much of everyone else we see in him. But I I, I want to uh, put a uh, bring a point to light about how it's put put over. Mm-hmm. Look at the rhetoric. I never ask a friend how he makes love. So mm-hmm. that's going to be his analogy. Sure. That's his metaphor that he's using here. So, you know, you're asking me about what I think about French painting. You, you want to know what I think about art and about techniques. Mm-hmm. He, the choice of love, I think, is a very, very special one. Why choose something that's so intimate? I think, uh, and the fact that, you know, you, when I go to museums and things, it sets him off. It reminds me of his grandfather's rages. It seems very, very personal. I would say it is personal. that you know it's it's a. I think in this the start of this letter, is almost without saying it directly, saying you know don't ask me about painting what I think about it. It's too personal to me. Because mm. it's so it's, no no he's, he's not he's, he's definitely choice. he's definitely talking about it. Yeah, it's not he's not. I don't think he's using it as a kind of shield. Um, it's more. It's more. It's something of mine mm. that I don't. Uh, I don't care to to kind of let be influenced by those around me. Kind of yeah. Um, and what he says after is interesting. That for him, the cubist uniform is very militarist. And you know how little I am the soldier type. Barracks make me neurasthenic, and cubist discipline reminds me of my father's words. The army will do you good. It will give you character. Yeah, they hate. So there is something. There is something very uh, kind of subversive. Those lines made me like him a a bit more. Sort of subversive in his denial of of traditional forms. Now, again, if you see it in like a broader perspective of things, it's not as personal and new. Some of what Vlaming said, not necessarily in this in this um, letter, but in what you read before yeah sounds a bit like the the uh the like minor punk figure in the documentary talking about how he used, he was the first one to bring in the you know the african masks to paris at the time mm. there is something of like a minor painter in vlaming uh, at least in comparison to the massive like titans that that we've talked about but i i like him i, I you know in the end i kind of liked him i don't like most of them though you don't like most of them, no. But a few, the Derain, the Derain um, portrait, I think, is, is, is great. I mean, just to, to sort of take several images in, in quick succession, again, the Chateau images, 1907, he has so many of them. I have uh, 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 one called Chateau, landscape with red trees, Chateau, white sailboat at Chateau, the bridge at Chateau, super Suzanne-esque, but we've got these, these dark colours again. Mm-hmm. The light is sucked in. The light is sucked in. It doesn't seem to come out. Then they are they are intense, but not bright. Mm-hmm. And they're not pastel. A lot of them. They're not that washed out. They're quite. They're quite saturated. It's very heavy. It's very thick. Mm-hmm. Um, but blue is the major color. It's the dominant color. And he seems to have to have found that. Mm. Yeah, that was his color. Mm-hmm. And when you compare that with something like the River Seine at Chateau in 1906, very much, you know, seems to be influenced or show the same kind of influences as Derain has. This mm-hmm. kind of divisionist technique, almost pointless at times in terms of how carefully the brush strokes mm-hmm. are, are applied. But I, I think we should finish up on two images which I think really deserve 
mentioning sure. the girl with Ratmore and the girl at Ratmore, 1905. So, Ramor was a uh, le Ramor was a um, so the dead rat was a uh, bar in Paris, a kind mm. of seamy cafe where uh, prostitutes and men of low standing used to. Um, <laughs> to, no, I, it, you've not, been there, have you? Not, I, no, I mean not of low standing. Actually, I think it was it was a semi high class affair. But mm. um, yeah, it was a, a kind of it's a brothel, bohemian cafe, brothelly kind of place. Mm. Um, yes. So well, clearly, it was a brothel. I mean, from these paintings. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but uh, again, it's rare to actually see him at this point. Uh, doing portraits. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, uh, here the the girl from uh, she's sort of reclining. You know, it's it's. It, there, I wouldn't really describe them as nudes. There is nudity in them, but it it it's. It, it doesn't nudes. seem. It doesn't nudes. seem dominant. The girl at Ramor is a little bit reminiscent of those Toulouse Lautrec paintings where you see uh, a woman getting dressed mm. um, after an act or maybe undressing, as opposed to but but. But with the, 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 like, without any sensuality, right? The, those Toulouse Lothar ones are so great because they're completely devoid of sensuality. It's just, like, a mechanical act that she's doing, and it's this person looking at it. Um, so very, really voyeuristic, mm. really quite beautiful, and shorn of the weight of the nude in painting. Um, this one is a bit similar. It's just a woman casually so sitting... Similar. Part of her chest is exposed, but she's just not. I think the fact that they are partially clothed it. actually yeah. almost makes it uh, uh, slightly more sexual, because it seems like she is in a state of undressing, uh, and, but yet she's still got this sort of yeah, bonnet. But she's, not, she on she's not really looking at him. And stockings. Um, the, the background is similar again to the um, the one you hate in the Derain portrait. I like this. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I like this background. I'm going to. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I, it is. It is in one sense because you've got this sort of yellow background predominantly, uh, and then on top of it, these sort of orange and red uh, 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 rectangular mm-hmm. sort of dashes just put down. But in terms of there's there's a richness to it. There's a, a sort of a layered element uh, uh, that gives it texture. And I'm going to make a, co- a comparison. That background and the use of those colours in particular reminds me slightly of Klimt. Hmm. Interesting. I could see it. Don't you think? A little yeah. bit. I could see it. So how should we... Yeah, that is true. And how, how, how should we... Uh, how should we start to, to wrap up? So, Lemming. again, we've, if you were wondering whether you one need to go to art school, what is the value... Vlaminck is, is an example of someone who is not classically trained, but is someone who is, uh, he is eclectic in his knowledge. We can clearly see the influences of Van Gogh uh, and, of, um, and later on of Cezanne, and we can see that he's, he's interacting and arguing back and forth with Derain uh, and a little bit with Matisse. Uh, but he is he, someone that seems to say that... Uh, uh, Creativity has to be spontaneous. It can't be manufactured. There mm-hmm. is no going to... You can't have a well-made painting. There's not going to be a theory or mm-hmm. a technique for well-made painting. He's got little time. He's got little patience. Uh, he's, a, he's a man that's 
constantly moving from one thing to another, probably wants something a little bit more radical in his life, but wasn't a soldier. Mm-hmm. Wasn't a soldier. And perhaps the unconscious effect of study, um, because his color theory, especially in those early images, is so rich. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and so do you think that he's probably... Let's take him at his word and say that he does paint from his heart and his loins. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's imagine that he is wanting to put in his own world. Oh, and I'll, put, I'll add this. This was a quote that we didn't use, but uh, we'll use it now. Mm-hmm. He didn't like Gauguin. Mm. He said that Gauguin's paintings were dark, metallic, and moody, and that there was everything inside them except the artist. And so mm. I think by a, a, a kind of uh, inverse of that, we can assume that he wants his paintings to show something of himself. Sure. Yeah. So these are not just what they purport to be in terms of subject matter, they are also of the artist. They're entirely of the artist. Mm. Yeah. Do you think that that works? That's why I thought it was also important to mention the, the Rat Moore in some of his best In some of his best paintings, it works a little bit. Some of his best paintings, it works. But if you had to say three of these paintings that people should look at, I do like Derain's portrait. Uh, the orchard is yeah, like the orchard, and the girl at Ramor. Yeah. So perhaps we should leave it and there. On that, thank you very much. Join us next week when we will turn to André Derain. Look at his work and see how he. Like is Thomas a is a big, big fan. Yeah, I, I, I really quite like. I think he's very experimental. All right, thank you very much.